0: The, the- Welcome and welcome to another episode of the HAL Travel Podcast, Season 3. So, you know, it's been more than a year since the pandemic struck the world and we all had to learn how to adjust to the new normal. You know, you go out wearing masks, um, you can't travel, and now we're all working from home. Mm -hmm. But this time around, we have to, you know, as much as we all yearn to make you know, to make the world come back to where it was previously, Mm -hmm. we always have to remember that there are people who are less fortunate than us and actually their lives now is worse off than they were before COVID. So, one such group are refugees. Mm. Yeah. So today, we are incredibly honoured to have um, RIM, a senior field assistant at UNHCR from Yemen to join us. So thank you, RIM, um, for joining on our podcast. Okay, so... Huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so UNHCR, for those of you who don't know, um, is the United Nations High Commissioner for U- Refugees. Um, it's a UN agency dedicated to saving lives, protecting rights, and building a better future for refugees, forcibly displaced communities, and stateless people. <laughs> so, um, Rim. Uh, how about you introduce yourself and tell us more about yourself um, like what it's like to be a field worker for UNHCR, um, how does your day-to-day activities look like and why you actually decided to become an aid worker?
1: Uh, first of all, my name is Reem, Reem al uh, I'm a senior field assistant working uh, with UNHCR since the year 2019. Um, I'm working with uh, the, the local NGO, which is a partner for UNHCR through a community center that provides a set of uh, assistance for displaced Yemenis and the vulnerable host community and, uh, and those people who are affected by the war. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I decided to be an aid worker because we have to make a difference in our community, right? Like we have to do something. We all have these messages that whether... It's a good one or like a good message or a bad message. But I decided to have a good message. And I have seen this marvelous and incredible work in the field. Um, And I've been touched by that. So I decided to be an aid worker. And where, where best to go is not with UNHCR.
0: Yeah. Do you think um, that, you know, um, since previously you were having a bachelor's degree from um, in computer science, do you think that yeah. was a huge leap from computer science and then now being a humanitarian?
1: It is actually because, uh, you know, from uh, being a working as, uh, you know, computer programmer and then changing the major and becoming a humanitarian. Like this is like a source of satisfaction to me. It is actually, you know, serving people, being able to make difference, saving lives, mm-hmm. is what gives me the the, the utmost satisfaction in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, let me explain a bit about the field work that we're doing. Uh, for example, the the assistance that we we provide for people here, like uh, for example, um, through the community center that we have that serves uh, displaced people um we we provide legal assistance uh, mm. for those who are in need for consultation and for legal assistance we support women especially uh you know single mothers and those who are affected by domestic violence and which we call gender based violence um we also uh, provide you know we have okay. a mechanism for referral like for more specialized uh, services we we refer them to a more specialized services with other service providers. Uh, we also um, have, you know, that war comes with trauma. So we provide psychosocial support for people who are suffering from stress, anxiety, uh, and this kind of stuff. And I will explain more later about the intervention and the initiatives that UNHCR have uh, in Yemen. Yeah. Nice. So,
0: yeah, actually, I didn't know that it was this... Um, comprehensive um so from yeah. our understanding it's like you know when you uh, when you talk about humanitarian efforts uh, it tends to be more related to the emergency side and not more on like you know the mental psychological aspect of um you know health itself yeah. so that's actually very impressive
2: mm-hmm. hmm. yeah so I'm just like wondering like you're based in yemen right <laughs> Like what is it like um, a day in the life of a UNHCR field worker? Yeah, field worker. What is it like?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been, as I told you, I've been close uh, with, like, working in coordination closely with the local NGO, which is our partner here. So, being in the field, witnessing, you know. Uh, what is going on mingling with people who suffer from, you know, different issues. For example, uh, people who are suffering, as I told you, suffering from anxiety. Uh, Like, for example, I was in a focus group discussion with women uh, talking about social activities that are suitable for women. And we were talking about what is the activity that they think UNHCR can support them with. Mm -hmm. with. And they you know, like when they started talking, they started talking about how the war the war affected them mm-hmm. and how the displacement affected them, and how they were dignified before. And then, when they came to another place and they are suffering, they lost their living there, and how they're suffering from the accumulation of rent, and they started crying. So it was like you see like how you cannot imagine how how uh, I mean, the war. Um, it affected the, the mentality and the, 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 psycho, the psychological well-being of people mm-hmm. so uh, yeah along with other services which is like we provide which I'm going to explain what are the, the assistance that we provide we have this community center that actually is close to the people um, addressing their needs uh, psychological needs legal mm-hmm. needs and consultation and this kind of stuff mm-hmm. so yeah it's overwhelming Mm -hmm. being in the field you mentioned like
2: before this podcast that Yemen is in its sixth year Mm of the war right I was just wondering if you could help us explain and understand better like what kind of war is this like um, I think it's different from everywhere else we've heard so if you could just help us understand how is the situation derived to what it is now today
1: yeah see Yemen is a unique scenario. Like you cannot find such a scenario in the world. Like everything is collaborating against it. Like the war, I mean the conflict, um, the 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 pandemic now, and the the poor economy that Yemen was witnessing even before the war. People were actually, I mean, suffering and and struggling before the war. And imagine six years of war. How I mean the burden that it added to people. So. Yeah, I mean, 50% of the health uh, facilities are not functioning. Like, only 50% are fi- functioning with full capacity. So, uh, we've seen the world under this pandemic collapsing. What about the war, the pandemic, and other epidemics that Yemen has been dealing with, even like from the, before the war, and it got worsened because of the war. So, uh, people are struggling uh, to, to, to buy food. You know, it's mm-hmm. their day to day, daily struggle. People are struggling to pay the rent and keep shelter over their heads. And we've been, you know, witnessing a lot of, you mm-hmm. know, uh, eviction problems or threatened to be affected. Like people uh, are in, in makeshift camps. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, are, when you are displaced, like I have experienced displacement myself because I was living in a city where there was a conflict and I had to flee. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate because, you know, Um, I'm I'm a computer programmer and this kind of stuff and having my opportunity in life and I joined UNHCR, things got better for me. But people won't have the same privilege that I had. But I understand, like, when you have to flee, you don't don't have the luxury of time, you know, to to pack whatever you want or to plan where to go. You just take your clothes and just flee, save your life. Mm. So, yeah, about one million Yemeni, is uh, is living in makesh- makeshift camps with limited access to uh, to basic services with little food you know sanitation, water. So that's the, the situation for 1 million Yemeni and you have to understand that we the, the number of displaced people in Yemen is about 4 million IDP and it's getting you know it's increasing. The number is increasing displacement is still going on. Uh, like if, if we're going to count it this way, we are thirty million. Okay, so one in eight Yemeni is displaced. I see. So, um,
2: how did? Just like wondering, um, how did it feel? I think we're very privileged to be in a country where we do not engage in wars, etc. But to hear that even you yourself has been have been displaced because yeah. of a war. I mean in Singapore, we could only imagine um running away from a house because of a natural disaster you know a war didn't actually come into our mind when we think about being displaced mm-hmm. so being displaced in your context is because of a war how did it How did it feel when you um had to run away or flee the country or the city?
1: Uh, It's not a really good feeling, you know. It's an Mm -hmm. ugly one. Like I remember the first time I I fled my my home. Because I fled multiple times, I went go. Back, I, I went back and forth. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I remember the first time I cried because I don't want to leave my place. I don't want to leave my safe heaven. That was, you know, my friends, my the the, the place where I, uh, you know, I grew up, and, and then I had my job, and I had my, you know, yeah. my pillars there. So it's it's like it's the the the, the, the term uprooting is really correct here. I felt like I was uprooted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, people, you know, get displaced in Yemen for multiple reasons. It's, it's not just the conflict, because we also witness natural disasters and we met people in the field who lost everything, everything, like their house, um, the furniture, their money, their documents. That's why we have the legal assistance. Yeah. because people lose their documents and mm-hmm. they need to to get you know uh, you know new documents of this kind of so we, faci- we facilitate this so they lost everything and they had to flee because we witness um, heavy rain seasons and flooding so people have to flee because of the the natural disasters mm-hmm. and the conflict
0: and um, and right and now pandemic the yeah.
3: pandemic so like and yeah you, you touched and about the pandemic so how is the covid situation there like um. Uh. You know. Uh, did, are there a lot of deaths in in Yemen, or you know, how is it?
1: Yeah. Um. I I talked previously, and I said that fifty percent of the health center facilities, uh, the the health centers or the facilities, are not functioning. So imagine with fifty percent, and people cannot afford to put food on the table. Yeah. How would they yeah. afford treatment? You know that yes. is dealing with b- epidemics before even the pandemic now. Yeah. we have been dealing with different diseases like cholera, uh, chikungunya, mm. if you heard about this before, mm-hmm. dengue fever, um, malaria, chickenpox, and the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And even diseases that we, we don't have names for. So people just surrender to the fate. If they cannot, you know, with the low uh, testing capacity, and with people cannot afford the fees simply, so well, how would they do? What would they do? They just surrender. I mean, people die from even curable diseases. What about, you know, uh, COVID nineteen? So, yeah, people just surrender to their faith. Mm-hmm. I know. I personally know people that died. Yeah. I mean, I know people that died because they couldn't afford it.
3: Mm-hmm. And is the reason like what was the reason that you chose to be? Um, a field worker with UNHCR? Is it because you were in their shoes once and you kind you of understand the position that they're in and you want to um, help them? Or what was the main reason that motivated you to, to be where you are?
1: Yeah, it's like the, the feeling that you can do something. Mm-hmm. You can help. Um, I, I take pride in working with UNHCR i feel like i can do a lot of stuff especially when you are in a position like mine i'm very close to the field Mm. i've seen lives saved yeah like i've seen um uh, with our cash assistance that one i'm gonna talk about later Mm -hmm. is for example we can we can save lives Mm
3: -hmm.
1: yeah we help people that are under domestic violence we help women that cannot get you know uh for example, pregnant women with some difficulties in, in, in uh, delivering, we help them, you know, mm. especially those who cannot afford. Mm-hmm. So we save their lives and we save their babies' lives. So yeah, that, that's the type of the emergency assistance that we we provide for vulnerable women, mm-hmm. and we support women. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so uh, we, we feel empowered. I feel I feel empowered when empowering a fellow sister. Mm-hmm. So
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you were mentioning that there are a, you know as you are telling your story and explaining about the situation. It seems that mm-hmm. majority of the refugees are females. Is that true?
1: um see like if we're uh looking at the statistics yeah the the population of uh, like the number of females here in yemen are you know greater than, than men and there are so many families that are the the the, uh, the head of household is women and the supporter is women many i
2: was just wondering like um before this Sorry, flashback, mm-hmm. you were saying mm-hmm. that you got displaced and you only got a job at UNHCR three years ago, right? Yep. Uh, yep. And it struck my mind how, how did you went back to being employed after being displaced like you said that when you were being displaced it was basically going at ground zero like you had to live your yes. life you had to live your home you had to live your whatever
3: then you have certificates yeah, like you graduated from places yeah how do you
2: honestly how do you get back to where you are, where you are now
1: uh, looking at that period, you mean Oh my God, it was a very hard and a difficult time That I went through So I can't relate to whatever people were suffering mm. Yeah, it was a very <laughs> difficult time And that I had, you know You have to understand something about Yemenis The resilience they have inside Like no matter what, they survive We uh-huh. do survive But it's difficult for them I know, it's difficult for us Um, It's difficult, Uh, it's it's, it's the stress, it's the anxiety, it's, Mm. you know, the sweat, and it's everything. But we are so resilient. Mm
2: -hmm. I think Uh, we can, honestly, I think we can only imagine what...
3: (laughs) what you guys yeah. are going through like it's yeah, crazy I think it's it's a lot so my, my, my question is like you know despite all of you know, the challenges one after the other that refugees are faced with in light of everything and despite of everything like how do they stay positive yeah you know what what keeps them going because I think if you were to throw us any of us there as a field worker, I think we would just, <laughs> I would, I would just, be, I, would just yeah. like I wouldn't know what to do. I, <laughs> I would just feel, yeah, I feel very um, helpless.
1: Yeah. Uh, we never lose hope, you know. Um, I know from my experience that I had to do something. So uh, I became a humanitarian worker. Mm. Um, we, we never lose hope we know every new day comes with a hope with it we just you know we have to keep this in mind so we can go on Charlotte is very very
2: very
3: very strong very <laughs> resilient yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. yeah it's
0: amazing like take take a day at a time as the sun rises it's a new chapter of your life and hopefully yeah. something happens that you know every single blessing that you have even the air that you breathe is already considered like a blessing and being stripped away from all your um worldly things makes you really treasure what we actually have. Yeah. Anything
2: we really take granted for that where we are right yeah. now yeah. for sure. Uh share yeah. with us a story um mm-hmm. that is very memorable to you uh, mm-hmm. as part of a UNHCR field worker.
0: Yeah. yeah. One of the uplifting stories of um, like demonstrating resilience that you mentioned just now. What is something, the story that you wanted to share?
1: Yeah, well, I have two stories in mind. One is one is really dear to me. It was even before I joined UNHCR, I was working with, the, uh, um, with a partner to UNHCR. Um, I was in the field and I was a subcluster shelter, NFIs and CCM coordinator in one of the Yemeni cities. And that day I was in a field. I was in a field visit to one of the the, uh, sites. It was a uh, a spontaneous site for IDPs, uh, for uh, displaced Yemenis. And it was close to my city. So I was just like it was the beginning, my my hometown. And um, I went there and I've, I've seen this boy with this beautiful eyes, very beautiful eyes. And he sounds and looks really bright. And then I, I talked to his mom about he was doing something he was playing with some you know objects in his hand, and he says like he, he likes to invent things. He's an inventor uh-huh. like he invented a vacuum cleaner. it was like a toy, but he, he, he's imagining that hmm. he, uh, he's inventing the, the, the a vacuum cleaner, a plane, and he says like he wants to be um, he wants to be a, a pilot in the future so. He stopped the war in Yemen and then I started crying Mm -hmm. and then his mother and other, you know, the people that was with me were were comforting me. I mean, like see the potentials of those bright uh, children who are have no privilege or like education and schools is a luxury is a luxury for them. Mm -hmm. And he's that smart. See how I mean, like the wasted potentials made me cry. Mm. And how they feel, the way I felt, because I related to my situation when I was an IDP. Of course, I was in a better... I was fortunate. I really value everything that I have. Yeah. Uh, I know I was way, way fortunate than they are. But looking at them and see how the war affected them, and I was fortunate. What about them? They were in a, let's say... In, in, in a building that is unfinished, it's like, it was like a structure, just a structure, suffering from the wind. There are some lactative women suffering, uh, some pregnant women also suffering and cannot get, you know, access to health services. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the lack of everything I can say. And that with some, you know, pride children and wasted potentials, that made me cry. Mm. Uh, yeah. uh, I've always been
2: so proud like not proud but I've always been so amazed by how much hope people have mm. especially yeah. where, even when they're in like difficult times I mean I'm talking about war times you know like like for example this kid he wants to be a pilot but like us looking at him from the outside it's just so heartbreaking to know that um it's gonna be a very difficult journey for him mm. you know yeah um, yeah, yeah some more. We need more to make us cry. (laughs) 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 No lah.
0: But, you know, uh, we all know about um, certain stories about um, the situation that they are in right now in the temporary shelters and all that. Um, Is there, what is the next step for this um, displaced people? Like, um, after, is there like any particular story that um, they get reintegrated into society?
1: um for some of them yes uh but the majority when whenever you ask them about their intentions in the future like they always think about when are we going to come back to our homes mm-hmm. uh-huh. but yeah but some of them yeah they feel like it's been six years of displacement so they, they start to you know feeling a part of the community that they are in Mm. and they have different plans like for example settling but yeah a lot of people just feel like they're still uprooted they still you know long to 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 their old homes and hometowns Mm -hmm. yeah so just wondering
2: like so for UNHCR, uh, part of your uh, help is to provide psychological needs, uh, so requirements, uh, do you guys, so do you guys give out food every single day, I'm thinking, like uh, you mean- to help the refugees? Like what do you guys do on a daily basis? I feel like I've asked this before in the earlier part of the interview, but I just want to know like what, how else did UNHCR help? Uh the refugees. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, see, like in uh, UNHCR, we take lead in uh, three parts, like three uh, humanitarian intervention. Uh, for example, the provision of uh, non-food items, mm-hmm. which is in-kind assistance, uh, like blankets, mattresses. you know, kitchen sets and etc. Like these kind of kits we provide for uh, IDPs, which is, I refer to internally when I say IDPs, to internally displaced people, Uh Yemeni displaced people. And that's one of the intervention that we have. The other intervention, as I said before, like we lead the protection cluster. We actually lead three clusters, the shelter NFI, the CCCM cluster, and the protection cluster. So we also provide protection uh, assistance to people. And I explained that we have community centers in so many uh, Yemeni cities, and we provide the, the, uh, for example, legal assistance, psychosocial support, um, women protection, and so many more. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Uh, We also lead the biggest, one of the biggest, one of the biggest cash assistance in the country.
2: Mm -hmm. We help
1: people like in this cash assistance to pay the rent, to buy food Mm -hmm. and to secure, for example, uh, to pay their accumulated debts and also Mm -hmm. to, uh, and it's really preferable because they have the choice, they know their needs. So they they choose what to to do with it. So these are the three main. Uh, activities that UNHCR have here and, and how it helps uh, the Yemeni the displaced Yemenis and also the uh, the uh, host community, the vulnerable host mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm.
2: So, what is a typical success story for a Yemeni, for a refugee? Because I'm thinking, um, have you? Do you know anyone who has um, been successful? Like, does UNHCR keep up with people like
1: that? Like, do you have any stories yeah. like that?
0: Yeah, um,
1: I have a story of a, uh, like, um, uh, back in, like, 2020, we had a very small program, uh, uh, like, to train. It was at the time of the pandemic, still at the time of the pandemic, but we had this initiative uh, where we had this small program. It was a cash for work uh, program uh, for, uh, it was sort of supporting people to overcome, you know, uh, Covid nineteen, we have trained women and men to to, to do sanitizers, to make sanitizers, uh, to to sew uh, masks. So one of the stories like one of the, the uh, one of the old men that we have trained there was an IDP and he said okay I'm, 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 you gave me this and we gave him like a very uh, amount a small amount of money so he can actually buy you know the the basic items to make the sanitizers and I said he said I'm coming to you and you're going to buy from me and he did actually he 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 made those sanitizers and he came to the office and we bought from him Mm. I I really liked his enthusiasm, he was so enthusiastic and um, he made it. Wow. I mean, this is just one story of of one person that was entitled and enabled to do something and he did.
3: Wow. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
3: Current, I mean, Currently at the time of this recording, we are in the month of Ramadan. I'm just wondering how um, the atmosphere is like over there in Ramadan. And you know, especially in currently, or, or how it is celebrated, if anything, in, in Yemen as well. Um, oh yeah, how how is it? Uh, the atmosphere? The atmosphere. The atmosphere, yeah. The atmosphere of Ramadan, and how is it celebrated <sighs> there?
1: Yeah, see, Ramadan is, has its own flavor, mm-hmm. you know, for us Yemenis. It's different. The lifestyle is different. Uh, the blessings of this month and the people become more compassionate to, mm-hmm. towards each other. Um, it's, it's really special and uh, uh, people here in Yemen enjoy it no matter what. Mm-hmm. No, no matter what. Like, even if you have food on your table or not, mm-hmm. but they do mm-hmm. enjoy it. And we try, you know, to be like, people are trying to be more compassionate to each other in mm-hmm. Ramadan, so, and helping each other. Okay. Yeah, so it's an opportunity now yeah. to help each other. It's, it's one of the most, you know, um, valuable times, one of the most precious times that people feel each other and help each other.
3: True. Yeah. We just did uh, an episode recording on like uh, celebrating Eid in mm-hmm. Singapore and we were just wondering how uh, celebrations were like in, in other parts of the world because I think how we celebrate it in, in this part of the world is very specific to Southeast Asia. Um, so, I mean, we know it's not the same in other parts of the world. So, how is the first day of uh, Shawal like in, in Yemen? The first, uh, the first day in Eid.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. al Yeah. Yeah Aid, yeah It is different Like you see Like the first day Is so busy Like <laughs> Like Arab countries mm. We stay up all night And we sleep mm. Most of the day So When, when mm. Aid comes <laughs> Yeah So When Aid comes Then everything is different You see like The streets are so crowded People go and visit mm. each other Children are wearing new clothes mm, okay. Which actually brings yeah. It's nice. Which actually brings us I remember when I was a child I was like sleeping next to my you know uh, close, like just not, not being able to wait until the, the you know the, the day comes and, and I wear my clothes and I go out and visit my relatives mm. and this kind of stuff and then we still have the same celebration uh, things you know fireworks in the morning mm. uh, children go and buy you know sweets and this kind of stuff um, but, but here I'd like to draw your attention to something displaced families don't have this I mean the vulnerable families with this you know uh, poor and you know mm. economics erect economic yeah. uh, situation in Yemen you know children cannot buy aid coats you know they're they're deprived from this right they cannot celebrate it as the, the, the rest of their peers
3: sure yeah yeah
1: so it's different mm for them and it's heartbreaking
0: yeah i'm actually quite um curious uh when it comes to ramadan for the refugees in yemen um Mm -hmm. do you guys also do like a congregational prayers together because you know you don't have access to mosques
1: i guess uh we do for some uh, for some of, for, for some of the, uh, the the things that we have uh, we do have this kind of uh, you know intervention or interaction with with the displaced Yemenis also it's yeah. nice.
2: Um, so uh, I think it's really nice to hear that Eat is still happy and like, everyone is having fun and Eid. Mm. uh it's yes. very hard to imagine <laughs> you know like having gone through the war and covid and everything and everybody still has so much hope in them uh very very happy for that um so uh more on UNHCR we we have a campaign right
0: with them uh, Nurul if you could just explain more <laughs> about it yeah so Rim um, uh, just for you to understand um, how we got in touch with UNHCR is that we uh-huh. were um, for this year's uh, so every year during Ramadan throughout the whole entire month of Ramadan um, mm-hmm. what we do is uh, we have this campaign called pledge your lunch mm-hmm. so the food yes. or rather the money that you use um, for lunch typically in a typical day uh, will be donated to a beneficiary um, for whatever cause uh, that they are supporting So for this year We are partnering with UNHCR And thus part of it Is having you on board On our podcast um, So we have our Pledge your launch campaign On launch good And we have been um, Trying to Get raise the funds yeah, Raise the, the funds, funds. And um, through the stories Of the different refugees mm. Across um, the different areas la. So one of it is bang, uh, we, Yemen, Syria uh, And all that
2: uh mm-hmm. 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 And I think what since we've been doing it for a couple of years now, I think what we did differently this year is to really specify um uh, the amount that we want people to donate. So for example, fourteen dollars. What could that give to a refugee, which is a tent, a shelter, mattress, food, shelter, food, mm-hmm. so those kind of things. So if you're wondering, uh if you're wondering how much you should donate just look at the giving levels to see what exactly do you want to gift a refugee and hopefully you get to make a choice from there yes Uh. but yeah i think yeah to me i think the number one thing i want to give to a refugee is a shelter i think mm-hmm. uh i've seen this vlog of a of a field worker they're from malaysia so they went over to either syria or yemen to do some community work and one of the instances is that they would see a bunch of uh, tents with people in there with very 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 poor living conditions unfortunately and one of the one of the events unfortunate events that happened was that the tent that the tent where they store the food Uh, like their biscuits and everything that they got from organisations burnt. It was Mm -hmm. on fire. And they were all just like very, very in despair thinking about the food that they had stored for the winter is now gone because of the fire. So this definitely, I think, uh, gifting a tent is very important to a refugee and especially food. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those two are the main things that you should... I think we should uh, give to
3: a refugee. Basic necessity is yeah. for them to yeah. at least, you know, live. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, having a shelter over your head, you know, is protection. Yeah. yeah. It is protection.
2: Yeah. And living in this world, you think that when you get a house, clearly you have a shelter. But living in that world, your tent doesn't mean that you have a waterproof cover above your head, yes. you know. It's mm. a lot of things to consider. Yeah. A lot of things they have to find on their own which we really yeah. take uh privilege of true yeah
1: yeah and we have so many scenarios like this in here so when you were talking about about it it was in syria but it's like i can't relate i can I, i've seen so many you know scenarios and cases like this in here mm-hmm.
3: yeah mm-hmm. so apart from i mean this sort of fundraising that we're trying to do to, to help you and hcr how can you know others who would like to help Um, the refugee crisis in the many parts of the world do so
1: how can people help see I mean donating for UNHCR and donating for those people with the ones who have this privilege and to feel like you know it's kind of you know appreciating what you have is to to help others it's like kind of sustainability to what you have is to help others. It's it's a concept here, you know, like we have in Islam. Like if you want this, you know, blessing to yeah. be sustained is like to help others. Mm-hmm. Donating for UNHCR. Because guys here we are definitely saving lives. Mm. You know? You know every dollar counts. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we, we are we are saving lives. Yeah. And we are helping people.
2: Yeah. And I think maybe because maybe just for me what i'm experiencing is that when i want to donate when i want to donate um because there's too many um charity organizations available on launch good so you just get very very buried you get very overwhelmed by the number of organizations and you happen to just sift through you go through pages and pages of these organizations and you think which one is my money worth? So you start to think like Mm. that when you think about money, like Mm. especially when you don't have a lot of money and you want to donate. So you think about Mm -hmm. which one can you benefit the most. But I think that will only deter you from donating. Yep. because lo- what I like about launch group is that you can give your own specific amount. Uh, doesn't matter. If you think that the living, giving levels are $14, you don't actually have to give $14. You can just give $2, $3 for yeah. any organization that you want, for any cost that you want. Yeah. So spread out your money and you don't have to just <laughs> constrict yourself to one cause. Mm. I think everybody yeah. deserves a chance to you know, just increase the funds and everything.
3: Yeah, it, it's not supposed to be burdensome on you yeah. as well. And I think Laundry makes it really easy, like what you said. Um, and uh, now what Reem says, you know, it's, it's the month of Ramadan. So it's the best time to give as well. <laughs> you know, all your rewards are amplified. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I think apart from our campaign as well, they can directly um,
0: direct their donations mm-hmm. to UNHCR on the mm-hmm. website. Yeah, even after the month of Ramadan, Mm -hmm. um, you can always support them every month. You can even create like a monthly contribution if you would like. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I would like to know is that, you know, most of the time we are giving monetary uh, donations. Um, So maybe you could share with our listeners what your journey was like. Like how did you um, actually get to become a UNHCR field worker? What is the process like how do you apply?
1: Yeah, um, for example, I told, I told you at the beginning when I, uh, it was a motivation for me, my experience in life is to join this, you know, field of work. So I started as a, um, a uh, like working for the, the partner, uh, with the partner uh, of UNHCR. And I have been working as a coordinator for shelter, I mean shelter and NFI's, NFI's, which which means non-food items that I explained before is the blanket, the mattresses, and so on. Um, and it was, uh, it was an, a very interesting journey for me. <laughs> I've learned a lot being in the field, being with a partner at the beginning, and then joining UNHCR when I had the opportunity to. And the the, the beginning of my work here um was also interesting i had to uh, to learn a lot and i had to to pay more efforts and I, I had to also work closely with the partner and that was a privilege to me i still think of it as a privilege mm-hmm. as it lasts <laughs> yeah and i really yeah. really
2: encourage people to choose one organization or choose two organization to support because like what she said every dollar counts and like um maybe in the future I would want a job like her you know <laughs> <laughs> like you know as difficult as it is yeah. you know for a fact that you're helping
3: people it's fulfilling yeah.
2: yeah so it's more the job satisfaction and like how much your effort can go the long way so thank you to Reem who is being such a nice yeah. person who agreed to be thank on you. this podcast and for helping so many refugees out there, thank you so much. Thank you, yeah. it's an honor. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> thank you, Reem. Uh, Reem, <laughs> all right, yeah. guys. Uh, you want to end it off?
0: Oh, uh, where
2: can we donate? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so
0: thank you so much, Rim, for joining on our, our podcast. And this comes to the end of the episode for the Hull Travel Podcast Season 3. Mm-hmm. Um, If you would like to know more about UNHCR, all you have to do is Google them on UNHCR and find out more on their website. You can also donate to them at that particular platform. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. um, and always... <laughs> Be um, grateful for whatever you have. Yes, be thankful. Uh, yeah, be thankful yeah. because everything... <laughs> <you
1: know>. <laughs> <laughs> be thankful.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and always uh, keep yeah. a look out for UNHCRs, uh, accounts, yeah. socials, because they're always posting a little bit something about their refugees and their stories and yeah. their videos. Yeah so thank you guys for listening go and listen to the previous yes. podcast episodes if you haven't <laughs> thank you once again Reem and bye bye for now guys you're welcome. bye bye if you're in Singapore you'll know that food is our number one priority food and Singaporeans are practically inseparable it's literally the best ingredient for any occasion any stress you got going on you know food solves everything Because, for example, if it's your birthday, let's go eat. You got a promotion. You deserve a treat, sayang. You feel like pulling your hair out. Come on, I'll bring you for supper. You get what I mean? It's literally perfect for everything. And of course, we want to tell you everything about it. Like places you didn't know were halal. Or 12 new halal places you need to try this week, for example. We are determined to make your tummy bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger than last year or any time so follow us on the blog to get all the insights at www.halaltrip.com and of course we are also on
3: every social media platform at Halal Trip Alright, guys, thanks for listening. So, we'll see you on the next episode. Don't forget to give us a shout out on anchor.fm/slash the halal travel podcast. Your voice message
0: could be featured in our next episode. Yup, and if you have any advertising and collaboration opportunities, contact us at info at halaltrip.com. That's I-N-F-O at com. Also, don't forget
2: to follow us on our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Halal Trip. We're also now on Telegram and TikTok. Until next time, get inspired, go and inspire others.